0: Hey, isn't it great to see the sun? Who's been out in the sun today? What activities have been happening in the sun today? Great to see Murray back. Have <laughs> you been in the sun today, Murray? Walking around the lake, isn't gorgeous. Anyone else? Has anyone been sitting in the shops or something or sitting? Yeah? You went around the lake, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Cool. Yeah, I I mean, the sun is just so amazing. I know um, at uh, North, um, Kieran was was telling people that we shouldn't be complaining about the rain. We've got to repent of our complaints about the rain. But, you know, it's just... Oh, it's just so nice to see the sun. The sun is so awesome. I I went for a walk last, yesterday evening because there was actually a pretty sunset and I like taking photos of the pretty sunset and there just hasn't been much lately. So it's been awesome to get out in the sun. The sun is just such a focal point of our world, isn't it? It's such a beautiful thing, such a life-giving thing. And yet at the same time, the sun is actually really dangerous. You know, you can't just go for a holiday to the sun, right or if you're like me you can't even go out in the sun for more than 20 minutes without covering up or putting some sun cream on otherwise you end up well I end up the color of my shirt you know it's and and um who was telling me I I forgot this lovely lady's name but she's going to be studying melanoma isn't that awesome because so many people die from the sun the sun's life-giving but at the same time it's it can produce death and so we should be comfortable with this idea that something can be very beautiful but at the same time its power can be something that's really dangerous, you know. Like I could, I could go out maybe in my postmodern world and, and say to myself, well, you know, in my world – the sun isn't dangerous, the sun's a really nice thing. The sun is, you know, just this like warm fluffy thing that, that that's my reality of the sun. That's what I believe of the truth is about the sun. And, and I can have my own truth if I wanna have my truth, right? And how's that gonna go for me at Beach Getaway? I'm like, well, the sun, you know, my sun isn't a burning sun and that's my truth. Well, how's that gonna go? At Beach Getaway, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work, is it? Um, I can't change the reality about what the sun is, its beauty, but at the same time, its danger. And in a way, I think God is like that. God is incredibly beautiful and incredibly life-giving, the most beautiful being in in our world, in our universe. And without him, we would not have life. We owe him our very breath. And yet, the holiness of God... Is something also that's dangerous to sinful human beings and it's not very popular to talk about the holiness of God in this day and age but it's a reality that I need to teach you about because it can't be changed like the Sun I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it if you could put up my first slide there Um, Aslan is one of the main characters in the Narnia series that C.S. Lewis wrote and he, he represents God in the story. One of the characters said about Aslan, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. Any any um, Narnia fans, does anyone know who said this, or which book? Mr Beaver, the wisdom of Mr Beaver in The Lion, The Witch in The Wardrobe. That's right. So here's this God that we want to talk about today he's he's incredibly beautiful but at the same time his holiness is something that's dangerous to sinful human beings and the amazing thing though about God is the depth of his love for us that he wants to interact with us he wants to be in relationship with us if you read the old testament you see this phrase crop up again and again where God says I will be their God and they will be my people and so tonight, I want us to explore this idea of how a holy God allows us to come into his presence safely. How do we draw near to this God? I've actually been asked to speak about a passage in, in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about fulfilling the law. And I want to come at it from a different angle, but we'll answer that question about what Jesus meant. In Matthew chapter 5 from from about verse 17 as we go along but I want to talk about how do we draw near to God how do we if God wants to he wants to be our God how do we draw near to him and how do we become his people so I want to give you a little bit of a, a tour over the Bible and particularly some of the Old Testament but also the book of Hebrews. We don't teach much on the book of Hebrews. It's a fairly long book and it's a bit difficult and I think that's really sad because I think it gives you a great foundation to understand our relationship with God and, and you know, how, how it kind of works. So how do we draw near to God? Well, we can't unless he draws near to us. And because of his love for creation, he wanted us to enter his presence. And so he sets up covenants so that we can access his presence safely. And you see that in the Old Testament, that God comes and he makes a covenant with this group of people. And he, he makes a way for them to enter his presence. Though they're sinful human beings, he makes a way... And there's this system of priests and sacrifice and temple in the Old Covenant. And God says, I'm going to be your God, Israel, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to come and dwell in your land. And so um, they're, they're instructed to build the temple so the presence of God can come and dwell in Jerusalem. And so um, that the blessing of God can flow from the temple out to the people. But the presence of God is limited. Uh, the presence of God isn't limited, but the way people enter that presence of God in the Old Covenant is, is limited. Only the priest can go in to the very holy of holies in the temple where the, the glory of God is. And the priest has to cover himself properly with proper clothing, the clothing that's, that's set out under the Old Covenant law, and bring sacrifices. We can have a, the next one is a priest picture Um, there they are with their with their garment it's a bit like protecting yourself from the sun you can't go out into the presence of the sun without getting burnt unless you cover yourself you can't get into the presence of God under the old covenant unless you come covered and with um, the proper sacrifices and so God sets up this system and the blessing of God can flow to his people and how did it go for the people of Israel Under that under that system, how did it go? Thumbs up, thumbs down. A little bit of this, a little. It went well for a little while, you know. Under under the King David, King Solomon, there was some blessing. The you know, the people of God enjoyed the presence of God and all His blessings whilst they obeyed Him. But the problem was the people's hearts were hardened, and they turned away from this God who gave them this beautiful way of interacting with Him, and they broke the covenant. And for 400 years, God was patient with the people as they rebelled against him. And then finally, um, enough was enough. The covenant was broken. And so God actually leaves the temple. You see that in the book of Ezekiel. God leaves, the presence of God leaves the temple and uh, the land the people's land, the land of Israel is invaded, Jerusalem's under siege and eventually it just gets smashed to the ground. The temple is destroyed because of this broken covenant. And the prophet, I, um, the prophet Jeremiah lives through this and if you read the prophet Jeremiah and read the book of Lamentations, you see his grief this understanding of what a terrible thing this is, that the people had access to the presence of God and yet they rejected it. They turned away. But amazingly, amazingly, God's heart was still the same. His desire was still that he would be their God and they would be his people. And so he speaks this, uh, this word to, to the prophet Jeremiah that I want to show you. It comes from Jeremiah 31. And Jeremiah's lived through the siege and the exile, taken off into exile, but he hears this word from God. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people. This is the covenant I will make. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So it was this prophecy about a new covenant, a new covenant that was coming and the old covenant was going to get set aside because it didn't change the hearts of the people or as it says in Hebrews, the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. That idea, once again, that the covenant is the way we draw near to God. And, of course, that covenant is mediated by Jesus. Jesus came to be the perfect person who would fulfil the law, the old covenant law. He, he came to do what we could never do. But not only that, he came to be the perfect priest So under that old covenant, that system of priests and temple and sacrifice, the priests had to offer sacrifices for their own sin before they offered sacrifice for the people's sin. And so um, they had to offer that sacrifice, but Jesus comes as a perfect priest. He doesn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sin. And and yet he was human, and so he is able to sympathise with our weaknesses. He's this perfect priest, and not only is he the perfect priest, he's the perfect sacrifice. So the priest under the old covenant had to repeat the sacrifice day after day, week after week, year after year. But Jesus comes and sheds his blood as the perfect sacrifice, once for all, for all sin. And not only is he the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice, but he enters the perfect temple. So, so under the old covenant, this, this structure in Jerusalem was set up, the temple of God that the priests entered and they came into the presence of God once a year. But Jesus, that's just a shadow of the true temple in heaven, the real presence of God in heaven. And Jesus enters the perfect temple with that perfect sacrifice, offering of himself, and he's sitting at the right hand of God praying and interceding for us. So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, I've fulfilled the law, it means he came to be that perfect priest, the perfect sacrifice, entering the perfect temple on our behalf. Or as it says in Romans 10, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And through this covenant, this way that Jesus has opened up, we get to draw near to God through this better hope provided by our great high priest. Jesus has fulfilled the law, says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And so by this way, God can come and dwell with us and we can enter his presence. But how do we be his people? He said, I will be their God and they will be my people. So how does that operate? The interesting thing about that Matthew 5 passage is that Jesus says, I came to fulfil the law, I fulfilled the law, but I still want you to teach and practise the commands. It kind of feels like it's a bit in conflict. Well, he's done it, but we've still got to do something. So how does that work itself out? So we're no longer under the law, as it says in Romans. We no longer rely on the law, we no longer have to do a perfect job living our lives according to God's law in order to receive salvation. We're not, we don't rely on the law, but we're still called to obey the commands of the law that continue on into the new covenant. So all the ceremonial aspects of the law, if you go through Leviticus, you'll see many, many, many rules and regulations about how the people were to come into the presence of God. You know, all the sacrifices, the different kind of sacrifices that they had to bring and the rules for the priests, the way temple worship was to be carried on, all that is now fulfilled in Christ. We don't have to do any of that law anymore. You didn't have to go, drop into Woolies on your way here and bring a lamb so that you wouldn't come empty handed into the presence of God. No, the way has been opened for you. So all those ceremonial aspects are done with, all those dietary requirements, those rules and regulations to do with worship are all completed. But the law wasn't only made up of those things. The law was also God's commands about the boundaries for human life that would ensure human flourishing. There were these great um, commands that uh, God laid down for the people through Moses. Have no other gods before me. You might think of some others that that are quite well known um, on the Ten Commandments. You know, um, to love your neighbour. To care for the excuse me, to care for the poor. All those were set out in the law. The commands to keep sex within the boundaries of Christian marriage. All those commands that God set down to provide boundaries that would provide for, for human flourishing continue into the new covenant. And Jesus said that we should teach and practice those things. But we practice it in a completely new way in the new covenant. So where were those rules written down in the Old Covenant? Where, where were they written? I'm thinking Moses, Mount Sinai. Tablets. Thank you. Thank you, Hank. You've got to rely on the being guys to speak up. They're written on, on tablets. They're external to, to, to people's lives. Where are the commands now written? And there's a clue. Oh, we lost the, the verse. If we could keep our Jeremiah verse up. Yes, it's now written on our hearts. There's been this change under the new covenant. How does it get there into our hearts? <laughs> uh-uh, that's not going to get it there. <laughs> oh, the circumcision of the heart Aha, okay, now we 're getting somewhere so so, who does the circumcision of the heart, yeah, holy Spirit. holy Spirit, yes, the Holy Spirit coming and writing on our hearts what God wants us to do, the commands he wants us to keep so um The spirit comes and places the law in our hearts. But is it like a computer program? Who are the computer nerds? Do we have computer nerds? Pointing, pointing, pointing. Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) So you know when you get a software program and you, you want to download it into your computer, you have to press some button that says something like execute program or something like that. Let's go with that. Okay, so nice and simple. Keep it nice and simple for the non-computer nerds amongst us. And, and, so, and then off your computer goes and it does the things the software program tells it to do. Is that how the spirit works in us? Are we little robots? You know, eh, eh, eh. oh, I'm off to love my neighbour now. You know, the program's told me what to do. It doesn't work like that, does it? Why is that? Because the answer is there in that prophecy that it's about relationship. The law is activated. The commands of God are activated in our lives by the Spirit as we enter this relationship. God says they're all going to know me from the least to the greatest. This is not something for super Christians. This is something for everybody, that we enter this relationship with God and we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us and direct us and, and we're empowered to live that way as as we relate to Father God and in relationship with him. So we've got a role to play in living out the commands of God that are written on our hearts. This is not something that's going to happen to you automatically. And I want us to explore that for a minute in in Galatians chapter 5. I've got some of it up on the screen, not all of it. If you want to see the first bit, you can open it the very first verse of Galatians 5 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery and then after that first verse Paul goes on to talk about the Gentile believers and how they're no longer required to fulfill any of those ceremonial aspects of the law in particular they're not required to have physical circumcision and that was a big, obviously a big argument in the church. Paul says you're free from all those ceremonial aspects of the law, all those rest- outward, outward restrictions. They're gone. But, he says, there's a, there's a qualifier here I want you to see. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. So I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you don't do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this passage is starting to talk about how our role, how we live out the life of the Spirit within us. And I think it's really encouraging to see that, that Paul recognises there's a bit of a tension going on. There's a little bit of a, a pushing and pulling as we seek to live our lives out in, in obedience to Jesus' commands. Sometimes our flesh wants to pull us in another direction. And we've got a choice to make. We've got a choice. And the choice we're meant to make is say no to the flesh the sinful desires, and instead use our energy to serve one another in love, to serve one another in love. What does it look like when people go outside those great boundaries that God's given for, for, for healthy, healthy human life and human flourishing? Let's have a look, continue on in Galatians. The next slide. The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Keep in mind that greed is idolatry. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We've got to choose away from those things and instead let's let's hear that the way that God wants us to live. The fruit of the Spirit, if we go on to the next one, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So we've got a role to play in the life of the Spirit We're not to use our freedom that we've got in Christ, this wonderful access that Jesus has provided for us that we can just walk into the presence of God now, completely covered by his perfect sacrifice. We're not to use that as an excuse to indulge the sinful nature, to do just whatever we feel like doing. We're, We're meant to use that freedom, that access that we have to God to be empowered to live according to the spirit or, or as Paul says in the book of Romans, should we let our sin increase so that grace can increase all the more? What does Paul say? By no means, by no means, someone at North this morning says, certainly not. That was her translation. Well, that's beautiful. No, we're to put to death the works of the flesh and instead give our energy to this wonderful calling of serving one another in love by the new way of the Spirit. So Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, but I want you to teach and live out the commands. The holy and good boundaries for human life that God has given, that enable humans to flourish the way we were designed, the, live the way we were made to live, those laws continue into the new covenant but those commands are written on our hearts. As we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, he's gonna help us and write those commands and lead us and guide us in living them out. We are invited to draw near to God by this better hope and become his people by keeping in step with the Spirit. So I wanna share with you how An example of how that's worked itself out in my life as I was preparing for this message a few weeks ago, I was reading those things that are of the flesh and realised that there's still some envy in my life. Um, You know, I don't envy people for their stuff. But sometimes I can look at people's different circumstances of life and how their lives have worked out and it's been different from the way my life's worked out and I can look at people and, and be a bit envious of them and their situation in life. And, and God brought that conviction to my heart by the Spirit and, and, and spoke to me and said, Cathy, you can't serve people in love if you feel envious of them. You know, I want to deal with that. And, and then I saw this picture of Jesus as the great high priest, my great high priest, this one who was fully human and so who is able to sympathise with my weakness in this area and that I could come and pray and say to him, Jesus I'm sorry for this area of envy in my life, would you help me, help me with this area. And I look at Jesus as providing the perfect sacrifice and, and feel so encouraged that every thought, every area of little, little nook and cranny of my heart that maybe I can't quite get to is covered by this beautiful sacrifice so that I can enter the presence of God with complete confidence. And then I see that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God praying for me, praying, Father, help, help Kathy with this area of envy help her to look and view people differently in her own circumstances differently. And so I became very encouraged about um, how, how much the Spirit wants to help us to walk with him. The Spirit doesn't leave us as orphans. The Spirit comes alongside us and helps us in that battle with the flesh to say no, no to sinful, sinful desires and instead give ourselves wholeheartedly to the beautiful task of serving others in love so I don't know what your struggle is what, with the flesh but I want to encourage you don't get sucked back down into fleshly living because whatever the world tells you it's not love and it's not life the way of God is the way of true freedom and the way of life um, but we can trust God we can trust Jesus to help us to to live this life of the spirit that we call to live. Obeying the commands as Jesus taught us is crucifying the sinful nature. Seeing it as being dead. It's no longer a part of me. And instead keeping in step, in step with the spirit. God says I will be their God and they will be my people. As we live in step with the spirit we become the people of God. We've got that power and provision to become the people of God. But what if I fail? Even under this new covenant, what if I fail? I want to show you one more verse that I hope will encourage you and I want you to keep this in mind as we, as we do a couple more um, messages over the next couple of weeks on some difficult issues. I want to give you this ground, grounding so that you can have confidence as you stand before God. Hebrews 10, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's a weird thing. At the end of that Massive 5 um, passage where Jesus says, "You know, teach and obey the commands and then he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The amazing thing that is that under the new covenant, righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is a gift that you receive from Christ. If you are a person who has said to God, yes, I know I'm a sinner. I've not lived up to God's commands and I need the sacrifice of Jesus in my life. If you've accepted Christ in that way, then the righteousness of Christ is yours as a gift and you stand before God made righteous and made holy. Past tense, done. And the Spirit of God is doing a work in you, making you holy. So you're made holy but... The Spirit of God works that out in your life day by day, week by week as you are being made into the person that you already are, that you're reflecting in day-to-day life, your standing that's been given to you as a gift. By one sacrifice, he's made you perfect forever and you're being made holy. So what can we say? in view of this i want you to see how how amazing it is that god has opened the way to heaven through jesus that you don't have to go through this priestly rigmarole that you'll see under the old covenant that jesus has become the great high priest and he's opened this way for you to enter the presence of god Let's make use of that wonderful opportunity this week. Let's interact with Jesus, our great high priest, and seek him for the power of the Spirit to live every day. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to read you a passage. I don't have this on a slide, but maybe you could read it again during the week. Hebrews 10 from verse 19. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. You can't live the life of the Spirit on your own. We're meant to be encouraging one another and meeting together so that we can encourage one another to live that life of the Spirit. But my encouragement to you this week is to draw near to God. There's nothing, your, your life isn't a surprise to God. There's nothing that you could say that would keep him away from you. He wants to be your God and he wants you to be his people. So why don't we pray? Jesus, we wanna thank you for your gift today. We wanna to thank you that we can draw near to you by a new and living way provided by Jesus. Thank you God that you free us from the demands of the, of the ceremonial laws and that you free us to live um, with you to serve others. We pray God that you would help us to keep in step with your spirit. Um, And to bring to you every struggle, knowing how much you love us and how you are our great high priest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.